Good evening, everyone. My name is Edmund Reinhardt, and I really want to thank everyone who's been praying for this night that uh, God could have his perfect way in our hearts. Before we begin, let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Almighty God, we have not come here to listen to second-rate entertainer, to speak words of men, to... Lord, we want to hear your Spirit speak to us. We want to see your glory. We want to understand your holiness. We want to be broken and undone in the sight of it. We want to be transformed. Father, we pray for your unhindered work. Not only this poor, broken vessel up front, but in each one of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be ye holy. What does that mean to you? I would submit to you there's probably four broad categories that uh, you might fall into in responding to that question. Be ye holy. For some, sadly, this might appear to be ridiculous rubbish. Others, they might see this as re reckless religion. And then we'll get to those who go beyond to the rigorous Romans 7 birthing process. But I pray that there's some in here and hopefully more as this week continues that come to the point of resting in a relationship. For those that might think this is holiness is just rubbish, I, don't, I suppose there's not too many in this place. If you've made the effort to travel here or even sign in online, you're probably here seeking something. And so we won't spend a lot of time on responding to that. We'd, I'd love to spend time with you personally if, if you're interested in pursuing uh, more about uh, the evidence there is for God. But, but the Bible plainly says, as we read in Romans chapter 1, that uh, basically you're lying to yourself. This is what the Word of God says. It says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, in unrighteousness or suppress that truth because that which may be made known of God is manifest in them for God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. In other words, if, if you just look, you look into the telescope and you see the expanding universe and you understand, as all scientists have to agree, that this world had, this natural world had to have a beginning and whatever has a beginning has a cause. Therefore, we know that there's a supernatural cause. We know there's a God just by looking up. We know there's a God as we look inside, as we look through the, the microscope instead of the telescope, we see the design. And you can look into epigenetics and neuroplasticity and all kinds of evidence every year. We understand more and more 
evidence of the amazing creativity, power, and ingenuity of our Creator God. But what we want to talk about tonight is maybe a little bit more relevant to those who, who've stopped lying to themselves, who've, who recognize there must be a God, there must be a source to all of this, and, and we need to respond to Him. And so for them, what does holiness mean to such, such of, of those who feel that way? Unfortunately, I would, I would say that there's a, a large percentage, and, and I think each one of us needs to examine our heart, a large percentage that, that would say this isn't really an attractive topic for them. Uh, talking about holiness seems to be about rules, and, and we heard uh, Brother Eric on Sunday night talk about, you know, that Satan's lie about being under the thumb of God and how we feel that this is about restrictions. And so, so they would see holiness as being this repressive set of rules. just want to read uh, one verse from the Old Testament, maybe not that, that common. Uh, it's found in Amos chapter 8, where... Uh, God's speaking to a, a group of people, the Israelites, who have really fallen into a, a formal response. Uh, and they're, they're complying with certain externals about the religion, but their heart is really far. And, and so God is almost mocking them as he, or as he's telling them judgment. He, in verse five of chapter eight, he says, uh, this is what you say. You're saying, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances by deceit. So they were following the new moon. In other words, there was certain religious requirements. There were holy days that you needed to attend and be there. And that kind of was interrupting their life. It was getting in the way of business. We heard our brother Peter last night talk about business, business. And, it, and in effect, he was, he was kind of digging at perhaps our North American concept that I'm too busy with my business and really we should have the Lord's, Jesus as he was in the temple said, I must be about my father's business. But clearly here, these, these Israelites, uh, they were about uh, money business, and they're going about it in unethical ways, and God had a real big problem with that. He was going to judge them for that. Um, and we can say, well, <laughs> good thing I'm, I'm not a corrupt um, uh, person, a businessman, uh, so this doesn't apply to me. But when we look at this response of seeing holiness as a religion, uh, we're familiar with people who are religious. I mean, all religions kind of follow the same lines. There's, there's basically a finite man is doing something to get in the good books of an infinite God, and uh, they make some sort of sacrifice or some sort of ritual, and clearly that doesn't even make logical sense. Only the infinite God can, can bridge the infinite gap. 
And we can see examples. I remember I was um, on a school trip uh, in high school. We went to Quebec, and Quebec is, is a, a very uh, uh, Catholic nation, and we were in a small village, and basically the pattern was, you know, everyone went out Saturday night and, and did all kinds of wild things, and, and then Sunday morning you were in church, and, uh, you know, as long as you did certain things, you, you attended Mass, you, you took the, the wafer, you said certain prayers, you made confession, you were, you were good, and you could continue that cycle, and you left church the same as you entered it. And it was kind of like what we read here, you know, when will Mass be over so that we can go back to our default pattern? Now, We'd say, well, you know, good thing that we are not, you know, in that sort of mainline high church mentality. You know, we have, you know, evangelical or, you know, uh, more uh, gospel-centered approach. But, you know, is, is that so different? Do those patterns still apply? Uh, can we say that, you know, when we even come to these extremes of, you know, being saved by, you know, no matter what, and as long as you go through certain technical things, we become kind of Christians by technicality, and, and we, we uh, state certain beliefs, and then you're saved uh, for all eternity, no matter what, and you can do as you please, and you can go out unchanged from uh, your uh, worship, is it, is it that different? I, I ask the question. And then maybe we'll say, well, okay, well, we're not a part of a nominal Christianity. We have a heritage of, of, of Anabaptists where we want to live out our faith. That we, uh, and so, but then as we look at ourselves, we have to be honest. We have to look, do we have this recklessness in our technical uh, commitment to to certain external check marks, right? Whether where that is, you know, you know, you need to uh, appear a certain way, uh, you need to dress a certain way, you need to appear at a certain time, you need to show up, you know, be good if it was twice a week, you know. But if you can only make Sunday, that's understandable. And if you can only make Sunday morning, and you know, then then you know, do we have this attitude? And if we could kind of reduce that, let's get a little more efficient with our time, you know, and and let's try to 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 reduce the amount of time that we have to tie up in church so that we can get back to get back to what is is our commitment to God? Is is the money that we spend for God? Is the time we spend for God? Is this is this something that we? you know, want to get over and so that we can get back to what's really important to us. And, you know, then and what are those things? And, you know, are there things and that aren't visible that, you know, whether our choices of entertainment and self-indulgence and, and relationships where we're, where we're really chasing a dopamine hit. You know, that, that there's certain things that just give you that that. High and you know even, even now uh, your your cell phone basically the apps are are technically designed so that they work like slot machines you know they give you feedback at a certain frequency and and so that they can keep you addicted and, and it works pretty well it's pretty hard and and many of us are are on that and you know I'm I'm here I'm trying to use my phone to 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 look up the Word of God and it's telling me that it's Amazon Prime Day you know and it's trying to distract me from what my real focus is here. So, you know, what are these pursuits and are they truly holy and, and, and are we really, is God the sidebar? 
Is, our, is this a reckless religiosity where we conform, but this is not our passion. This is not what we are all out to do. I want to read, and this is something we can take some time to, to look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 as we talk about holiness in, in concrete terms. Let's start reading, say, verse 14 to the end, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So when we get reflect back on this kind of technical Christianity where it's a matter of creed, it's a matter of statement, maybe a prayer, a, 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 a something that we say. Does that really fit what the Word of God is saying here? The Word of God is saying that there's a separation required, a coming out, a turning from. And when we look at what the word holy means, it does require a separation, a dedication. That's what it means at its root in the, in the Greek, in the, in the Hebrew, I should say, that we need to be separated from and to. And so here in the Word of God, we see that there needs to be a separation from the pattern of this world and, uh, and the things that this world worships with its idols and instead, we are going to be separated to the very presence of God. Now, when, this is a fascinating study. I wish we had time tonight. We don't. Um, but if you ever look about the presence of God and the temple of God and understand what God's trying to do with that temple, that he's bringing the presence of God into our, the midst of the people and how Jesus came and how he was that temple. And he said that I'm the temple, that if you destroy it, I'll be rebuilt in three days. And then how we are the temple, which is what it's saying right here. You start to understand that the point, you know, as I'm reading through Exodus and Leviticus, and sometimes it gets a little dry and, and difficult to maintain concentration, that God's trying to say something very profound. He's trying to say that we have a problem. He's a holy God. He is pure and he cannot stand the presence of sin. And we have this problem that here's the, the, the Adam and Eve as we heard on, on Sunday night that you know, because they have sinned, they were put away from the presence of God. They had this amazing communion of walking together and then there was that choice. Then there was the hiding and the fig leaves. And then... They had to be driven from the presence of God and then you see 
You see Cain going from the presence of God, if you read in Genesis, and so on. Amazing study. We won't uh, get into all of it, but I, I, I encourage you to look into it. But here, what it's saying, when it's saying the temple of God, it's saying God's presence. God wants to be your father. He wants you to be his son and daughter. He wants to live inside of you with his Holy Spirit. But there are some conditions. It's not just a name it and claim it. You need to leave in order to cleave. Maybe marriage means more than we think. You need to separate yourself in order to become one with God. And so we said those who, who kind of dismissed this whole attempt to be holy as just ridiculous things that we believe and it's about the flying spaghetti monster and we can just mock it and, and so on and they're really lying to themselves. Well, if we're trying to, to, uh, to, to make our conscience feel better by external conforming to a certain set of check marks without surrendering our hearts... We're also fooling ourselves. We're also taking part of the Bible. We're not taking the whole counsel of the Word of God. And we need to be honest. We see that happening not only in general Christianity. We see that happening in our own circles. And we need to take care. And we need to be vigilant. That we don't take lightly the holiness of God and the invitation he is making for us to leave the miry clay and to be put into his very presence. I mean, there were some who took that lightly, Nadab and Abihu, you know, they waltzed into God's presence, the very holy of holies on their own terms and God burned them on the spot. You know, these, these things don't preach well in today's society, but we have to understand God does not compromise on his holiness. That's why Jesus had to suffer so much. There was no other way to satisfy the wrath of God. So those who don't want to fool themselves, so those, maybe you're saying, okay, you know, I know there's a God, and I know his word requires me to change, to leave my former lifestyle, to become one with him to become his daughter requires me changing. And I remember coming to that point in my own life. I was sitting in these pews and, and hearing the word of God and being inspired. Yes, this is the truth. I need to do this. I need to seek God. I, I, and I knew, I knew there was a bunch of things in my life that were not right as is further evidence, you know, of God in us that there is that that conscience is that either accuses or excuses according to Romans chapter 2, and that is in everyone. And so we might say, okay, I'm going to try to do this. And then we get, for, for them, so we said holiness might appear rubbish to some, it might appear repressive set of regulations to others. It might also seem like something deeply frustrating, guilt-ridden, and full of despair. As we get serious about following the Word of God, we start to understand the gap between the holy and ourselves. And as we try to take those finite steps, 
in sincerity now and not in, in, in trying to fool anyone else and not trying to you know, get everyone else to think I'm okay, but I'm honestly trying to do with my whole heart to follow God. To, I start to read His Word. And I start to realize some things. Let's look at Romans 7 as, we, as Paul shares his own experience. <clears throat> Paul was a master of the law and, and he was an expert he, at the feet of Gamaliel, but he started to realize something we can see in Romans 7. If we start reading from verse 7, he says, what shall we say then is the law sin? God forbid. I would not have known sin but by the law. The law is that light that exposes what's right and wrong. I would not have known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet. You know, I, I don't think it's accidental that Paul chooses this example of coveting. I, the Bible takes it seriously. We don't preach about it that much. The Bible says coveting, which is idolatry, hatred, which leads in the same spectrum as murder, lust, which is the same thing as adultery in your heart. All of a sudden, God cares about what you think. It's not just about doing the right thing when everyone's looking on Sunday morning. It's not just about doing the right thing when everyone's not looking, which is really hard, because that's a lot more integrity involved. It's about thinking the right thing. Who's going to be able to do that consistently? Wow. How can we who are and struggle with this flesh and, and, and these, this corrupt nature, how can we ever do that. And Paul, Paul agrees. He says, uh, continuing verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, and, but I am carnal, sold under sin, for that which I do I allow not, I know it's wrong, but that which I would I want to do, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, that I don't want to do, I consent, I agree with the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil that I would not that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The rigorous Romans 7 experience. How many of you have gone through that birth canal? a necessary birth canal, but a difficult one. I think if you ask anyone who has is, who is, uh, been born again, they will talk about that if you can feel free to do that. And I want to reach out to those of you who are still stuck in that birth canal who are saying, holiness, it's, it's, it's a lie. It's impossible. These people are just acting and pretending there's no way you can be holy. Let's just give up and let's go back to reckless religion because there at least I can do what I want and I can, you know, just cover it up. 
And you see this kind of cycle. I went through that myself, where I went from trying to do what's right, being convicted, you know, after camp's going to be prime time for that, and then getting discouraged, finding it's impossible, and then going back to managing appearances. Again, those cell phones are really good at that. You know, you can, you can you know, manage your story, whether it's an Instagram or Snapchat, and, and you can really edit a really nice picture of, you know, who you really are, mind you. Seems that there's pressure to kind of edit that to say how cool you are and kind of reflects other values, but that's beside the point. The cycle of reckless religion and rigorous Romans 7. Maybe that's why we're not excited about holiness. Maybe that's why holiness seems like... This is going to be a downer. It's going to be a downer of a week. Someone's going to beat us over the head. Stop using your cell phone. Stop going on social media. Stop, stop, stop. And yeah, sure, I'd be nice, but I just can't make it work. Brother Oscar and myself, we were spending a little time praying and repenting together, and he brought up one of my favorite verses in Isaiah 57, 15. Worth verse, a verse worth memorizing. <clears throat> For thus saith the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. That's our God. He's high. He's not attainable. We can't reach him with our finite grasp. He's lofty. We can't even understand and think. We, we can't process. It doesn't fit in our brains. And we certainly, when it comes to morality... There's no way we can reach his purity, his character, his, his driven snow, whiteness. Brothers from Windsor were, were telling me about uh, they were doing this renovation and they did replace most of the foyer part, but the Sunday school wing was in pretty good shape. We left that ceiling there and then all of a sudden when they're done there's like this contrast you have these pure white pristine tiles on the ceiling and you have these tired and sagging and and gray tiles that you know oh you know there's this contrast and things might look fine our lives might look fine but when we contrast it against the true standard the high and lofty one who is holy we are like Isaiah where we say, I'm undone. I, I don't belong here. I can't enter the holy and holies. I'm not the high priest. And even then, I, I have no rights. The verse continues. This high and holy one dwells in two places. Two places. As you would expect, he dwells in the high and holy place. He fills Heaven, he is above all. And with him also, 
or her. That is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You know what's blocking the birth canal of rigorous Romans 7? It's pride. It's pride. That's why I didn't escape it sooner because I thought I, I, I was a pretty good kid. I could do this if I really wanted to. And it's not until you get to the point where you recognize, recognize as Oswald Chambers said, he said that if we saw, it's at the point that we recognize that the most hardened, worst criminal in his, in his actual behavior is half as bad as we are in our potential behavior. If there wasn't things limiting us, we would do the same and worse. We see, till I saw inside of me my motivations, the true me, not the edited outside, until I could come and be broken and contrite and humble. That's the only way through the eye of the needle, through that birth canal, from that rigorous Roman 7 to get to where God wants you to be in the rest of a relationship with Him. He's promised to do that. Not that you can waltz in like Nadab and Abihu on your terms. You're going to end up like barbecue on that. You've got to come in in humility, recognizing that gap. Isaiah, as he fell on his face and said, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. It was then that God could move. It was then that he took, the angel took the coal and brought it to his lips. And this is, this is kind of interesting. I won't take the time to, to tell the story, but in the Bible, if something like death or you know, something that was corrupt touched anything that was holy, it became unholy. You had to purify it. But this is different. That coal, which was holy, touched the lips of Isaiah, who was unholy, and made him pure. And Jesus, who was holy, touched the prostitute and the publican. He reached out and he brought healing. So for those, those who have broken through that birth canal, who have crossed the Jordan and have died to themselves and have been risen by the daily power of Jesus Christ, for them, holiness does not mean repression. It does not mean rules. You don't want to go back across Jordan into the whips of Egypt. You shouldn't. You recognize it as slavery. You, holiness does not mean repression. Holiness does not mean frustration because things have changed. Now it is God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now it is, now it is as you abide in the vine, the sap and the wine produces fruit. Not you. Not you trying really hard. I, I can get a cherry out if I really push. No. It is as you depend 
on that life-giving flow. And what is that flow? What is the temple? Who is in that temple? What is this life-giving water that brings life to whatever it touches? The connections, the connections. Think about it. It starts connecting all over the Word of God. It comes alive. The connection is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that flows and brings life to what it touches. Life from the death, only from the dead, only to those who have been willing to die, who have been willing to separate themselves from the world and come to him and that he can call them, you are my child. Because Romans 8 goes on and says there's no condemnation. Those who are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Those who have the Spirit in them saying, Abba, Father, you are my daddy, my intimate father that I can trust who will take care of me. Those are the ones who have no condemnation. Those are one who have freedom that all things work together for good, who are more than conquerors, though they go through trials. It is those who can now enter in the rest of Hebrews 4 that tells us that we have ceased from our own works. Let us labor, therefore, to enter in the best. That we are now not depending on ourselves, but we are co-laboring with the Spirit of Christ. He is initiating. He is empowering. And we are submitting and being led by Him and actively choosing to yield our members and finding a power over sin that we had not before, that the dominion of sin is broken, that we can now yield our members to God instead for righteousness. It is in, in the <clears throat> John 7 where Jesus stood and cried out on that great day of the feast and as they poured out the water as that, that high point of the Feast of Tabernacles and said, I am. And, and, and who believes in me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. And the, and the gospel writer spelled it out for you and me today. And this he, by this he meant the Holy Spirit. And that is the flow that Ezekiel speaks of in chapter 47 when he talks about the throne of God, the presence of God, and how from that a trickle, not something powerful, but it begins small and grows. This flow of water goes towards the dead and miry and marsh places, and it brings healing. Wherever it touches, there is life, there is fish, there is growth, except for one exception, which we really should take a note of, except for the miry places. You see, the miry places, they, they have an inlet, but they don't have an outlet, so the water kind of stays there, and it becomes stagnant, doesn't flow on, and we need to examine ourselves. Out of our belly will flow rivers of water to bring healing. Are we letting those waters flow? Are we that conduit? <clears throat> are we bringing, showing the glory of God through cracked pots? Not cracked pots, cracked pots. That the, the glory of God shows through those cracks. The water of, of the river of life flows even as we, in our weakness, depend on Him and allow His life-giving flow to flow through us to change things around us. That means we don't hide our weaknesses. It does, means we don't pretend we're perfect and that we're sinless. It means that with John 1, we say that, you know, and, and we have uninterrupted communion with God and with each other because we confess our faults. We don't cover up those cracks with, 
with things that are just going to stagnate that flow. But that means that we need filling. It means we need to remember. And if you know there are two different sacraments that Jesus left with us, baptism and communion, the death and burial with Christ we've talked about, which is the only way out of that birth canal into life, and communion, remember. Remember, because you're going to forget. You're going to slip back into reckless religiosity. You might slip back into that rigorous Romans 7 experience, and God forbid that you slip back into those rubbish days. You need to come and be filled with the Spirit. You need to renew. You need to come not only here, not only to this high place, as we talked about that retreat, this wonderful place where we get perspective above things. You need to build your own. Brother Peter Arut, who preached yesterday, he's got his own hut on top of his mountain that he goes to and he spends that time fasting and praying. You gotta build your prayer hut. You gotta carve out time in your life so that you can remember and that Holy Spirit can continue to flow and bring that life-giving flow to your life, to your family, to your co-workers, to your uh, 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 fellow believers. And then, then you will complete the story that began with the presence of God to the end in Revelations 22 where the very throne of God is issuing those crystal waters and you can be present you can be present and be a part of that life-giving flow. It's the presence of God. Practice it. Final, final point, I promise. I've got, I, I know of a friend who's very academic, but not extremely social. And so he's trying to explain the algorithm for friendship. He thinks, you know, there's, he, he's a computer scientist, so, you know, he, he figures there's machine learning, can figure this all this stuff out, right? If you, you take all these inputs and you weight the edge nodes and you can kind of figure out and, and come up with a solution, maybe through machine learning and, and data science, he can figure out how to make friends. How do you think that's gonna work for him? You see, same way our Christianity it's not about figuring out which rules to follow and which doctrines to believe and which process. You need to have a living relationship and that's different. It's different than religion. And it's not one time. You don't just make a friend once and you're friends forever. I mean, that might be how it works in Facebook, but that's not how it works in real life. You need to nurture that relationship so that it becomes strong and life-giving. May each of us remember and allow that life-giving flow to bring life around us. Let's remain broken, contrite, and allowing the glory to shine through those cracks. Let's bow our heads for closing prayer. Our Father, where else can we go but to you? You have the words of everlasting life. And we thank you, dear God, for sharing them with us tonight. And as the group has sung, to have thine own way, as the preacher has preached about holiness, identified shams, 
cover-ups, facades. We pray for forgiveness, Lord. To the degree that these things apply to each one of us, we bring our hearts before you and pray, Lord, for cleansing. That we may confess these things before you, desire sanctification, transformation, regeneration, new life, freedom from the bondage of such things. We thank you, Lord, that through Jesus Christ, there is freedom from every bondage. So we pray, Heavenly Father, for the person here, each one that is in bondage of some sort. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the recognition of such, for the desire to be free above all else, and to recognize that the only source of freedom is submission by faith in Jesus Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you work this in our hearts, that we become more holy, separated unto your purposes, to have that longing to fulfill your purposes and the calling for which you have saved us, that we might do that to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.